When you think of the Holocaust, you could probably think of the black and white photos in the shop that was discovered as the Allies began to advance throughout Germany and discovered some of these concentration camps. Um, we honestly have a, um, a Holocaust here, as you heard, the amount of children aborted since 1973 legally. Uh, we, have a, we have a huge problem. I want to just share a few couple statistics here. Here it is. All right. 42 million abortions occur every year, not just in the U.S., but worldwide. Now, the country of Myanmar, where it was in November, is about 59 million. So imagine just about all that country wiped out every year. 115,000 abortions throughout the world every single day. Uh, the town I lived in before I moved here in Oregon, Beaverton, was about 75,000. So two Beavertons wiped out. As Ginny mentioned, now 50, 59 million. That statistic's from 2011. Four in ten of surprise pregnancies, pregnancies that weren't planned for, whatever, however you want to word that, are terminated by abortion. <clears throat> and 21% of all pregnancies in the U.S. are terminated. Um, the Holocaust was horrible and shameful and six million Jews died and we had no problem calling that a Holocaust and rightly so. And here in the United States that statistic of 59 million since 1973 shows the depth of the Holocaust in the United States. I shared with you Psalm 139 and the things that the Lord shows us in that passage. And we see here, uh, we see very clearly that God is concerned about life. He creates life. Job 33 verse 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Job 31.15 says to the effect, Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? It's very clear from our Christian understanding, the teaching of Scripture, that God is not only the giver of life, He is also the taker of life. Job said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will return naked to my grave. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Uh, God Himself in Deuteronomy 32:39 says, I put to death and I bring life. And so that's why we see that uh, uh, taking life unnecessarily are sins. It is God's prerogative. He is the creator to give and take innocent life. And so in light of that truth, that God creates life, it is an affront, it is a, a rebellion against God, uh, to God's sovereign authority, His role as the giver and taker of life, to put ourselves in the place of God as the ones who unnecessarily control life and death. Because God alone has that right. And so things like abortion, things like euthanasia, you name it. And, and this is a bigger issue than abortion. It's about life. Uh, abortion is a huge part of this. It is an affront to God's authority as a creator. And it is an assault on His work in creation.
In Psalm 139, that psalm, the psalmist, probably David, I'm assuming, couldn't, probably couldn't sit down with you and, and give the latest research from his day, from seeing ultrasounds and, and, uh, and uh, identifying uh, the, the, the ways that the, that the human embryo forms and grows and grows and grows into a fully born baby. He didn't know how God takes the egg and the sperm and brings them together. He, doesn't, he, didn't, he, he probably didn't know, but I'm sure he had some inklings of it that a few weeks later after that egg and sperm unite and form life at conception before the woman even realizes she is pregnant there is a human heart beating about two to three weeks and circulating its own blood and a few more weeks fingers forming on hands and brain waves detectable and these inward parts are moving in and of their selves their kidneys are forming and gallbladders and by the twelfth week all the organs of a baby boy or girl are functional as you saw in that, in that video there and he or she can cry and all that occurs within three short months that first trimester a heart, a brain Organs, their gender, movement, reaction, and the sovereign creator of the universe orchestrates all of that. And as you saw that video, it, it, it brings out awe and amazement. But God not only creates life, He creates life in His own image. You see, there was something different about uh, humanity in Genesis chapter 1. As you read that, that chapter, you get a rhythm here. God spoke, and this came to existence. God spoke, and this came to existence. And then on day 6, after He creates the land animals, it says He took man with His hands, and He forms him from the dust of the ground. And He doesn't speak and cause that to happen, but He does it with His hands, and He breathes His own breath of life into man. And Genesis 1.26 says, Let us make man in our image. So man, the, the, the crowning achievement of God's creation, made in His image, and that life that began at conception, at conception began to be an image bearer, God. I think we need to get back to that that idea and that theology and that teaching and scripture that all life, human life, is reflecting the life of God. And all life reflects God because man is made in his image. And because God creates life in his image, that is a person. That is a person. From conception, that is a person. The question in the whole debate uh, about the abortion issue uh, seems to have been this. What is contained in that womb? Is it a person? Every other question, every single argument comes back to that. Who or what is in the womb? And Christian apologist Greg Kokel says this, if the unborn is not a human person, there's no justification for abortion. It's not necessary. We don't need to justify why we take something if it's not a human being, right? But the opposite is true. If the unborn is a human person, then there is no justification for abortion that is ever adequate. 
he writes this. Imagine a baby named Rachel. Six weeks away from being a full-term delivered baby. She's born prematurely at 24 weeks in the middle of her mother's second trimester. On the day of her birth, Rachel weighs one pound, nine ounces, and drops to just under a pound soon after. She's so small she can rest in the palm of her daddy's hand. She's a tiny, living, human person. And the doctors and the medical team take heroic measures to save this child's life. Why? Because we understand instinctively we have an obligation to protect, nurture, and care for other humans who would die without our help. Especially little children. And Rachel was a vulnerable and valuable human being. But get this. If that doctor had come into the hospital room and instead of caring for Rachel, took the life of that little girl as he lay quietly nursing outside of the womb at her mother's breast, that would be homicide, wouldn't it? However, if that same little girl, the very same Rachel, was inches away resting inside her mother's womb, in some states she could be killed legally by abortion. A matter of six inches or so, right? An abortion assaults God's work in creation, but it also is an assault with God's relationship with the unborn. You ever thought about that? That God has a relationship with the unborn. You see that in Psalm 139, how God relates to a child in the womb. He's intimately involved in the life of the baby from the moment of conception. And even before that, He tells Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, before you were even conceived, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. The psalmist says to God in Psalm 22, You're the one who took me out of the womb from my mother's womb. You have been my God. It's amazing. Scripture speaks about how God calls and names and blesses children while they are even still in the womb. Paul said that about himself in Galatians. Isaiah 49, Luke 1 with John the Baptist. John the Baptist uh, in Luke 1 says, uh, the the scripture says he was filled with the Spirit, uh, even in the womb, and he leaps for joy. And God reminds us in his word that though an unborn baby might be hidden from our visible eyes, he or she is not hidden from him. And God sees children in all wombs, all around the world. A pediatric geneticist at Boston Children's Hospital reported that of the women who had the amniotic fluid test to see if their children were Down syndrome uh, children, an estimated 92% of all women who went through that test and got that prenatal diagnosis that the child that uh, would be born to them is a child with Down syndrome, choose to terminate those pregnancies, 92%. And those of us who've had experience with Down syndrome children know that they are the happiest people in the world. And if God creates life, all life, 
And we push a little further and say, in humanity, He creates life in His own image, the Imago Dei, the image of God, to represent God, to bear certain attributes of God. And we understand how precious that is And the third truth, obviously, logically follows. That God creates life in His own image and He calls His own image bearers outside of the womb to protect it. Randy Alcorn put it best when he described sometimes the neutrality of even Christians in this issue. He says, to endorse or even to be neutral about killing innocent children created in God's image is unthinkable in the scriptures, was unthinkable to Christians in church history, and should be unthinkable to Christians today. We need to move beyond from just having an attitude that we understand these truths and that this is wrong to behaviors and actions that line up with our attitudes. And one of the things that we need to grow stronger in is understanding a true, sound, pro-life argument. Imagine this conversation that Greg Kokel um, imagines, and, and, has, and he's based on hundreds of conversations with um, uh, the, the pro-choice movement, but he says this, The government shouldn't tell me what I can do with my own body. Well, should the government be allowed to control your body concerning your two-year-old? Well, that's different. That's outside my body. Right now we're talking about my uterus. The government shouldn't tell me what I should do with my uterus any more than it should tell me I have to donate my liver or kidney. Well, on that I agree with you, but that has nothing to do with the pro-life view. Pro-lifers are not asking you to give up your uterus. Pro-lifers are saying that government should be able to protect a human being inside your body just like it does an infant child on the outside of your body. But we're talking about... My uterus, not a human being like an infant. But I thought we were talking about what was in your uterus. Okay, but that's not a human being. It isn't? Then what, what is it? Nobody knows. It's just tissue. Well then, let me ask you a few questions about that mysterious thing in your uterus. You agree then that there's something inside the uterus of a pregnant woman, right? Of course. Is it alive? Like I said, no one knows when life begins. You didn't answer my question. I asked if it was alive, not when life begins. So let me ask it another way. Is the thing inside of a pregnant woman's uterus growing? Yes, it's growing. Well, this is progress. How can it be growing if it's not alive? Okay, you made your point. It's alive. It's living tissue. I could have a tumor that's growing. It's part of my own body. And the government has no say over my tissue growing in my body. Well, in principle, I would largely agree with your point about the government, but I don't think this tissue is part of your body. Of course it is. Did you ever watch CSI? Sure. When the forensic pathologist finds remains of a human body, how do they determine which person those remains belong to? They try to do a matching DNA test. Right, and if the DNA from the tissue matches the DNA of a hair sample from a known individual, then they know where that tissue came from. Right. So if someone took a DNA test of that piece of flesh growing inside of your body if you were pregnant, would its DNA match your DNA? Well, no. Then whatever is growing inside part of your body, inside of your body, is not part of your body, is it? It's tissue from a different body. That's why it has a different DNA. Well, I guess so. 
What kind of foreign creature do you think would be growing inside of your uterus when you're pregnant? I don't know. Well, then let's get back to the CSI illustration. If forensic pathologists found a piece of tissue at a crime scene, how would they know if that tissue came from a human being or from some other animal? Well, I guess they do a DNA test. Yes, but it would be a different kind of DNA test than the first one. This one isn't looking for a match with a certain individual, but with a kind of individual. What kind of creature did that sample come from? What kind of DNA signature does that sample have? It might be dog DNA, cat DNA, possum roadkill DNA, or possibly human DNA. So if we took a piece of tissue from that living thing growing inside of that pregnant woman, what kind of DNA do you think it would have? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. You don't have to be a scientist to answer that question. Let me ask the question another way. What kinds of things naturally grow in a woman's uterus? You know, offspring. So if there's an offspring growing in a woman's uterus, what kind of offspring is it? Could it be a dog or cat or possum? What kind do you think? I guess it would be a human offspring. So we do know what's growing inside your uterus when you're pregnant, don't we? It's not a mystery. It's not your tissue, but your human offspring. Someone else is in there, your unborn child. So now that we've solved your mystery, do you think the government should be allowed to force you to protect your offspring when the child is outside of your body, but not when he's inside your body? Right? I guess that's right. Why should the government be allowed to protect your offspring on the outside of your body? Well, because children are valuable. Right, I agree, but that creates a problem now, doesn't it? How so? Well, if children are valuable outside of your body, say right after they've been born, how about those same children not valuable when they are inside a couple inches hidden in your uterus? Why does the location of your child make any difference to the value of your child? And folks, uh, we need to be better equipped to articulate the truth, because science is on our side. We're not grasping here at faith. This is true. This is, this, is, this is true. You might not have these conversations, and we don't have these conversations just to win an argument, but to plant the seeds here. But folks, we could close down every single abortion clinic in the United States, and there would still be abortions that go on, right? And the problem is not necessarily the clinics. Those are the fruits of a wrong worldview, aren't they? And we could even have our nation acknowledge morality, and that still would not create the right heart, would it? And so we partner with organizations like CareNet because they understand that at the root of all this is an understanding of the gospel. And that same gospel that shows that God loves life so much that he sent his own son to die for image bearers so that image could be fully restored is our basis for how precious life is, but it is also our basis for proclaiming, as Jenny said, the redeeming power of Christ over those who have gone through with that. That God forgives And God used a babe through normal human processes, though born of a virgin, to grow up in humanity and become sin for us on the cross. And that's the beauty of the gospel because it attaches, it it, it can fix any social issue, can't it? 
Because social issues that arise in a broken, fallen world arise because of, the, because of the depravity of the human heart. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate answer to that. That's why Jenny said we, we have people that, that come with us and, and intersect with our ministry searching for answers. And she, says, uh, she said that we need to build trust with them so we can show them the full and final answer is found in Jesus Christ alone. Because it is the power of the gospel to not only save us, but to change us. To cover sin. And so, folks, the statistics say that one out of three women in the U.S. have had an abortion. And we don't, I, don't, I don't know the full accuracy, but it's pretty close to that based on the research I've done. So that means we need not only to advocate for the pro-life and the sanctity of rescuing those those babies before they are murdered, but we also need to we need to uh, display the hope that comes through Jesus Christ for those who have gone through with that. The Apostle Paul was a wonderful example of this, though I'm sure he was not directly involved in an abortion. The Bible describes the Apostle Paul as one who had gone before and had killed Christians. And perhaps that included very young Christians. I don't know. But here is a man who, at his disposal, had used force to wipe out the movement of Christ's followers and had blood on his hands. And he could say, at the end of his life, that I am the least of all saints, the chief of sinners, but God uses me to display how He can show His mercy to even people like me. That verse that we read in Proverbs chapter 24 talks about the danger of, 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 of not being, of, of knowing in our heads that something is wrong, but not being active and participating in changing that. Many times our problem is not a problem of lack of knowledge, but a problem of lack of doing anything about it. And David Platt uh, uh, has, has, has put down a few steps here for you to participate, to think about participating in, uh, in this cause of the sanctity of life. First of all, in their peace, pray. Pray for God to end the injustice of abortion in our country and around the world. If you've played a part in that, ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Him to convict those in positions of power to use their influence to end abortion. And then here are some practical steps after you have steeped in prayer. Participate prayerfully considering these steps. Write to your Congress and clearly and respectfully lay out why abortion in this country must stop. Work with ministries such as CareNet or participate in events. Uh, the Human Life Sunday, uh, 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 walks, etc. that seek to uphold the value of human life. Volunteer with a crisis pregnancy center to aid in the work of showing women in desperate situations that there are options other than abortions. You need all kinds of help. You need people who, who can show them how to cook. Uh, you need people who can be involved in counseling, and, and they, are train, they will train you to do that. Uh, you need men to come alongside the other men who are these fathers, and maybe sometimes the forgotten members of this, and mentor. 
And one very simple way is our walk around Rockland here that occurs in April? May. May. Um, there's very few men there. I don't know why we think Karenet is a women's thing. But it's me if I get there and a few other men, maybe a couple pastors. Um, very few men. And men, we should be the ones taking the lead in this. Because this isn't a, a feminine thing here. This is about using your power and your strength to stand up for those who are most vulnerable. So let me just challenge you that way. All right? As I close, <clears throat> I think about a mom in this county. who had several children and found out she was expecting another child. <clears throat> I don't all the, know all the details of her family life, but she decided that uh, she did not want this child. But she decided that she would bring this child to birth. And thank God for His grace in that. And she brought this child to term and gave birth to a little boy and decided in that hospital to sign over her particular rights to that child and give that child up for adoption. And Becky Martz became a grandmother uh, there this past March, the day before, not knowing anything about that. Bonnie celebrated her birthday on April 2nd. April 3rd became a mom. No idea that that would happen. And now you have a little boy who's going to live in a Christian home, who when Clint comes home from work, that little boy's going to come running up to him with a smile across his face, jump in his arms and yell, Daddy. And it's worth it. And we as God's people need to participate in not just knowing it's wrong, but being a difference. February 12th, we're going to share a little bit more about what Nick introduced a couple Sundays ago about safe families. That's just one small part of it. where we trust that God will provide homes where the Lord has worked in hearts to provide biblical hospitality to parents or a parent that needs to have their child put up in a home for a certain amount of time. To help get their lives together, get back on their feet before that child goes to foster care. You might wonder how those two things are connected, but they are. We have to be a people who see very holistically about life, from the cradle to the grave, from the way we care for our elderly, the way we care for our handicapped, the way we care for our youngest, the way we care for 
the unborn. And may we have the conviction, the compassion, and the courage to do everything we can to stop today's Holocaust. And may we have His grace to do it.